You know there's a way for nurses to start a business, but there's so many moving pieces. Cut to the crap. It's time to go right to the source and get real about what's working in business and marketing for nurses with your host, the founder of Nursepreneurs, Katie Harris. Hi, it's Katie Harris, the Nursepreneur Mentor, and today we are talking to Brad Chesham, who has created a virtual reality, um, which he uses with nurses in his company called A Bundle of Rays. And uh, Brad, you are based out of Australia, is that right? Yeah, it's 40 degrees today here. So it's, um, yes, the answer is definitely, I'm, I'm feeling the Australian vibes at the moment. We've got okay, so 40 fires. degrees Celsius, which is very hot. And yeah, not that's <laughs> a good point. 40 degrees Celsius. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, um, it's summer here and you, it's, we're feeling it for sure. But yes, I'm in a little place just uh, called Noosa, just north of Brisbane. Okay. Um, all right. Tell us about your background as a nurse, how you got into nursing and how you got to um, building this company. Yeah. Wow. Um, so I used to study wine. Um, I left oh, school. I like, and I was I like a, you already. <laughs> yeah, I was a sommelier. So I worked at some really posh restaurants um, and my mum got bowel cancer. So I was working nights, you know, working with people, though, um, and then going into hospitals. Um, a girlfriend at the time, her mum was a nurse. Um, so sort of just around hospitals. And I hated my job uh, in hospitality, you know, doing split shifts and weekends and and, but I like people, so I always liked people. So I thought I'll give this nursing a go, and that was probably about 13 or 14 years ago. Um, got into nursing and immediately got into cardiothoracic nursing. So I worked with heart-lung transplants from the minute that I graduated in Sydney. Um, did that for three or four years, and then we packed up and moved to England and uh, worked in London um, for about eight years and worked at most of the big intensive care units around central London. Um, and then while I was there, I developed a sort of a passion for remote medicine. So I went to the Afghan war in 2012, um, worked in Africa. I've been up to the North pole, um, worked in Northern Mexico, which was pretty crazy. Um, yeah, so I've been around, I really enjoy that type of work. Um, and then we came back to Australia probably about four years ago now. And sort of during those course of events, I've finished a graduate certificate. I've done a master's in um, intensive care where I've published uh, a few research papers. Um, and then once I got back to Queensland, I didn't know what to do myself. I had that sort of situation where you're like, what am I gonna do when I grow up? You know, I've done a bit of ICU, I've done a bit of remote. I, you know, I, I, I didn't really have a passion for any specialty but I have always really enjoyed education. Um, so I knew I wanted to sort of apply myself to that. And in London, my best friend curated an art gallery and um, at the art gallery, they used to use a lot of different technologies for different exhibitions and virtual reality and augmented reality were, were some of those technologies. And I got exposed to them about six or seven years ago. So I was running a blog and I, I teach advanced life support and, you know, it kind of just merged two different fields together from the art industry into the education industry. And um, I don't know why, I think I might've been a little bit psychotic, but I decided to start a business, um, which as a nurse, you know, I don't know how it is in the US, but 
even just being a manager, you know, you might work in the unit for three or four years and, you know, you've been there the longest and a management job comes up. So all of a sudden you're a manager, but you know, you've got a budget, you're managing rosters, but you have no training in terms of management. And, you know, and then all of a sudden you do that for two years and you become a director and then you're sort of running a hospital without sort of any, so me stepping away into my own business was, I was very apprehensive about my training. So, um, I got onto an accelerator program, which was sort of like a condensed MBA. Um, I surrounded myself with experts for the first sort of six months uh, of last year. And the, the amount of learning that went on in terms of what, what is out there and, and what people do and how things get done was just, I, it's going to take me five years just to unpack what I learned in that six months. But, um, you know, every day is a new adventure and you just sort of fold open a new chapter. So, um, the business has been going okay. So it's kind of weird now that I'm, I still work clinically as a nurse. Um, I work in an emergency department, which is just sort of paying the bills, but my focus definitely is the, is the business. So that is a fascinating background and it's really great. I'm taking all these notes and I'm like, Oh my goodness. Um, uh, all right. So that's incredible. So, and we do have the same issue here in that, you know, you, if you stay somewhere long enough, then you just become the nurse manager and, and there's no yeah. trade. So yeah, it's really kind of scary because I think that's like one of the most important roles in the hospital. But um, so what exactly is the business? Like what did you decide to do and how did you merge yeah. in education? Oh, this is this is great question. <laughs> so fun, <laughs> fundamentally, when I launched the business, because, you know, you really have to understand what is the core business? What are you offering people? So I don't work in IT. I don't create my own content. I'm, I'm not a graphic designer. I, I'm not an artist. So I don't produce any sort of games or software. Um, when I launched the business in Australia from a respiratory perspective, nurses have been left behind a little bit with imaging. You know, we don't learn x-rays very much. We definitely don't do any CTs or echo. And, and I, seen, I thought, well, from an education perspective, there's probably a little bit of a gap in the market around x-ray education for nurses. And I've got a cardiothoracic background. So I thought, as a proof of concept, I'll test the waters and I'll do a, a chest x-ray education day. It's something that I know. It's my bread and butter. And I'll integrate this VR into those programs. And I will just test the waters and see how that goes for sort of three to six months. Um, once I started doing the courses, people really enjoyed it. You know, I started, I was only doing, there's only four people in a class and then there was six people, then there was eight, you know, and, and progressively um, you could see that people really uh, could see the value in providing virtual reality in a teaching session. So then I had to question myself, well, maybe the X-ray approach isn't, it, it, it still is a good idea but it's not the wider business. So I enabled myself to become a distributor for virtual reality. So now a hospital or a simulation center, if they were interested in, in incorporating VR, they could engage me and I could provide an educational consultancy around immersive technologies. Yeah. So we still do, we still do deliver our training. So that's sort of our face in the industry where we, we teach ECGs and chest X-rays and physical assessment using VR. But we also have a second ability that while we're there doing the training, we can demonstrate the technology and show people the use cases for how those technologies can provide a benefit to their business. Okay. And, and so in terms of virtual reality, like how is this different than like a simulation just you know kind of talking through yeah. 
Badass. Yeah, yeah, sure. So it is an emerging technology. So a lot of people haven't used it yet, but essentially virtual reality is a common word to describe these type of things is spatial computing. Because essentially you're just putting a little computer over your eyes and you wear a pair of goggles and it becomes, uh, well, it's ridiculously immersive. So once you put these goggles on, you can't see anything in the real world, hence the virtual reality. And and doesn't matter what perspective you take, it's full 360 degree view. So for example, on our rhythm recognition course, so we do like a foundational ECG program, you can walk inside the heart, you can hold on to the sinus node, you can watch the electricity to disperse through the muscles, and you can look at that from any angle in space. And for the classroom, the user that has the goggles on, that gets projected onto a high definition screen. So everybody else in the class can see what the user is doing. Oh, well, okay, so that, that is a little bit different than a simulation. Okay. Yeah, but the, the context to simulation is still applicable. So there's a lot of use cases to virtual reality. So one use case is clinical anatomy, which is extremely strong. The other is simulation. So uh, you and me, Katie, we could put a headset on. You could be sitting where you are and I am where I am, on the other side of the world. And all of a sudden, once our goggles are on, we're standing next to a patient. I can see you, you're one meter away from me, and we can manage that patient. So we could do a primary assessment like an A to E. You know, you can see the patient has work of breathing, you can see they're a little bit cyanotic. So you walk around, you put the oxygen on, you turn it up, and you literally can do a full sort of fidelity simulation as a team remotely. So then you have this ability to do sort of collaborative training in a virtual space. Yeah, I mean, that's amazing. I'm just thinking from, uh, especially for our, our nurse practitioner students, um, how incredible, I mean, for nurses in general, for actually for, I mean, all of healthcare, but, uh, yeah. I, I, you know, just so many ideas are running through my my head right now. Yeah, it, it, and this is, this is the really tricky thing for me is because I, you know, I have to articulate the basics, you know, what is virtual reality, right? But then all of a sudden, it's like, well, you know, that's, that's pretty innovative. Wow, that's crazy. But actually, once I give it to somebody, they do innovative things with it because it is so new. And that's the really exciting part at the moment is there's a little, you know, it's definitely not a tidal wave, but there's ripples where it's hitting the industry and then sort of um, innovative leaders are, are taking the concepts and applying them in very unique ways where the software programmers would have never imagined. Um, and, and I think in five years time, the the level of integration and, and sort of application into different businesses will be will be very interesting. So what uh, kind of people are coming to you now and how are they using it um, to, to teach? And, and what is what is the audience that they're teaching to? Yeah, sure. So, you know, for my training, so the x-rays and ECGs and that type of stuff, they're nurses, generally nurses, from nurse practitioner to nursing students. And they all sort of get something out of the day. So the students might get the anatomy, whereas the nurse practitioners might get the process learning around, you know, um, different, you know, um, accessory pathways or whatever. But then everybody can get something out of that. So then they go back to their work. And what I'm finding is they go back and say to their educator or their boss, hey, I went to this course. It was amazing. And then their boss rings me up and asks for a quote. So there's that sort of pass on effect about how can they then use that in a hospital setting to help better their education. I'm currently working with vocational training. So in Australia, we have assistant and enrolled nurses. Um, so they just do sort of anywhere between 12 weeks and one year training. 
and they can uh, provide assistance in hospital as um, you know, they help with patient handling and, and that type of thing. Um, so I've just signed a, a contract for a quite a large sum of hardware to go into that vocational area, um, but also in academic areas. So nursing faculty, physiotherapy, medicine, um, integrating VR into their core curriculum at a university. So that's sort of the bread and butter. You know, once that starts to happen academically, then everything in the periphery will, will wash into that because it's sort of, you know, the research will be there. The academics will sort of sign off to say that this is a viable teaching tool um, because it's so new at the moment. So that's, I think that's once academia sort of says, yes, this, this, this is good. We, we, you know, it's providing benefits to our undergrads. And then I think it'll just totally wash into the system. Yep. Yeah. So who's building these, um, I guess, graphics and, and how do you get that all done? Yeah, that's, that's, that's a very challenging component because, you know, <laughs> I, I, it out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I could have, I could have ventured into the content creation world, but, you know, just imagine that you, you, you team up maybe with an IT guy, you know, maybe there's four or five of you, you know, you spend three to six months creating this game, essentially, you know, maybe it's around hand washing, right? And you create it. And then after all this work and all this money, you start to go to, to clients and you realize that someone else has just released a very similar program. So there's a high level of risk around your, you know, you want to be the best in the world, which, you know, there's a lot of this. I think the market at the moment, they're talking about a $20 billion market um, in 2020, 2021. So there's huge companies like Facebook, Sony, um, who are all putting money into these type of healthcare programs. So huge amount of risk um, but generally they are you know IT architects um, graphic designers people who've got artistic creative skills are teaming up with uh, doctors or very senior nurses that have the clinical oversight because there's a huge problem where you have um, programs that have been built entirely from a business perspective driven by IT that don't have the clinical requirements and then therefore are redundant. So um, there's a lot of that at the moment where you might, you might use a program and it's okay, but actually the anatomy is wrong. So then you can't really teach that in healthcare. It has to be true. Um, so, so it's, a, it's an interesting field, particularly for IT world because they've made such great progress. You know, you look at the aviation industry and simulators are fundamental to pilot training these days. And that's been happening for 30 years but it hasn't happened in healthcare because there is a lot of risk around harming patients. So it has to be right. But only now is the technology getting to that point. So yeah, still a ways to go, but it is exciting what's coming. So even things like avatars, you know, you imagine these um, graphic designers or the, you know, the programmers, they're actually building these programs now where you walk around the room, you know, like I said with, you know, you, we have the goggles on, but the patient, he watches you. He looks you in the eye because they've got AI, artificial intelligence in the avatar. And he's able to respond and, and um, trigger associated to your body language in the game. You know, it's, it's ridiculous. Now, so are you able to like listen to breath sounds or heart sounds or do an assessment? Yeah, absolutely. You can reach out with the controller and they have like a trigger on the bottom of the controller. And the, and the trigger moves with the pulse. So you can have pulse characteristics. You actually have hepatic feedback. So you can pick up a stethoscope, listen to lung sounds. You can listen to the heart sounds, feel a pulse. You know, you can do a, a pretty decent physical assessment. 
even though it's it's just data it's pretty mind-blowing that is pretty mind-blowing because you know one of the things that we've talked about especially in academics is that we're to this day still presenting a PowerPoint and saying, okay, this is the diagnosis and this is the you know, physical assessment. It's really dry, boring, and it's just kind of like pushed on them. And I'm thinking like that kind of stuff is uh, stuff they need to do on their own. Whereas in the classroom, what we could do instead is project kind of this vir uh, virtual reality type of scenario. And the lead nurse practitioner that's teaching the class could walk you through that encounter and it you said that this can be projected so everybody can see right yeah that's right yeah 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 so you know it, it's the uh what's the you know like the pedagogy so the teaching methods or the tactics around how you deliver a teaching session with vr are challenging so for someone like me if I, you know if you said that you were interested and we wanted to do a deal and you wanted it in your classroom it's not as easy as i provide you the hardware and software and load it up because then once it's in your classroom there is you know, I want to make sure that you get the most value out of it. And that sort of method of teaching, it takes a bit of practice because you have to facilitate a student that has a mask on, you know, and potentially some of my classes, there's 10 students with 10 headsets on and they're all wandering around the classroom. So, you know, the fundamental ability of, of you know, you think back, um, I, I usually do this uh, presentation that's got Alexander Fleming, you know, the, the doctor who's made a lot of um, discoveries in the past. So 100 years ago, he's sitting in a medical school and it's an amphitheater and the teacher is at the front of the room. That's exactly how we teach today. So when you think about progress, education fundamentally, even though we have the internet, if I want to teach you something, you still sit down and listen to me teach. But something like augmented and virtual reality, just a simple thing in that now you will be standing up, not sitting down. And then you add on the fact that you can't see the teacher and you're wandering around in the real world, you know, potentially bumping into another student. So then the job of the teacher becomes quite different where the learner is sort of intuitively investigating the content rather than the teacher being at the front of the room projecting it. Um, so there's some teaching. So I'm just uh, putting a, a PhD application with Johns Hopkins. Um, to talk about the pedagogy of VR as a PhD thesis. So I'm quite interested in that. Um, so fingers crossed I get uh, accepted into that because I think there's a lot of work to be done um, in that field. Yeah, I imagine they'll scoop you up. <laughs> yeah, well, I hope so. Um, so I'm going to take this a slightly different direction uh, and ask you from like the patient perspective, is this something that we could do for patients so that they could see kind of their own disease process and understand it? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I'm a nurse, so I don't, uh, I don't have a lot of money. You know, I'm, I'm not a millionaire. Um, but it, when you start talking about integrating VR into patient care, you know, you need clinical trials. There's a lot of bureaucracy. So if you're starting a business, when you go into that field, you really do need some decent funding. So that was an area where I just couldn't tap into because I just didn't have the capability. Um, perhaps in the future, if we were able to raise money through, you know, first round funding, we could, we could look at that. But I think there's a lot of very good um, applications that are already up and running that, um, sort of already in the game. So I, again, that's another sort of use case of VR that I've stayed away from. But in saying that, when you talk about nurse practitioners, in the future, there will be a VR NP. So that nurse practitioner will be in charge of all the virtual reality therapies. 
So in the future, I perceive that there'll be a virtual reality department in a hospital and they'll have headsets or, you know, they'll have gloves and, and, and shirt like outfits that people wear. Just simple things like in um, intensive care, when someone gets extubated, they remove the tube. And sometimes that can be a little bit 50-50. The patient might struggle a little and they need quite intensive physiotherapy. So what you can do is put a VR headset on and you can play this bow and arrow game. So every time the patient breathes in, they pull the arrow back and when they breathe out, the arrow shoots towards the target and the patient can then play this game that's all based around deep inspiration and expiration, which effectively is their physiotherapy. But rather than the patient dreading or hating their physio, they actually request it three or four times more a day because they're bored in hospital. All of a sudden they're playing these games doing physio, you know, it's incredible. So then the nurse will have, there'll have to be a specialist nurse that sets up the kid and, and understands the, you know, the respiratory mechanics around the program. But then, you know, you'll have pediatric patients who wear a headset for cannulation. So they'll have pain distraction, um, end of life patients. Um, what else have you got? You've got anesthetic um, pre and post anesthetic review, um, minimization of opioids, uh, there's, there's a whole variety of different therapies that are coming in relation to VR. And um, I could see that there probably would be, you know, in order to keep it all together, you'd have to have a little sort of technological department that would manage and run all those therapies. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, how did you even get into this? Like, how did you know that it was uh, something that you could even afford to do or to, to even just just drive. research just you know like um you know if you've got a passion you do something don't you so you know once i started the idea of thinking oh maybe i'll i'll um maybe i'll start a business you know my wife slapped me uh, <laughs> and then and then i just had to read you know i've i've done a literature review i've i've spoken to a lot of industry leaders um in the last 12 months, you know, I won an award with an Axel this year, the um, simulation group from the US. I won the Hayden Vanguard Lectureship Award, which was amazing. Um, I've been invited to Europe twice this year. And one of those instances um, was with the world's, um, it was a clinical anatomist conference. So all very senior doctors who work in anatomy had a meeting in London, central London. And I did a 15-minute talk talking about the pedagogy of teaching VR to these. You know, one of those guys was the... Um, He's a Russian anatomist that works with the space station, you know, like rock stars of medicine. Um, and I was just so lucky to be able to have that opportunity. But surrounding yourself with, with, with leaders and experts, you know, you just, just try and be as much of a sponge as you can and take all of that in. Yeah, that's amazing. And it, it's also very impressive that you've been able to pick uh, an area to focus on as opposed to trying to do everything all at once. Um, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of limitations because of, you know, technology forces that you need very specific skills. Um, but, you know, the, the, my catchphrase whenever I talk at conferences or, you know, if I have a client who doesn't really understand VR is that in the 90s when you went to high school or if you're at university, a, a teacher would have the overhead projector. I, I don't know, you know, those and you, you put the slide on, you, the light comes on and you project it on the wall, right? Oh, the yeah. thing is, yeah, 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 big clunky pieces of kit. But, you know, they did the job, right? Uh, so virtual reality is just a modern version of one of them. It's just a, a tool for the teacher to put the content into a different format. So rather than having the students sit down after lunch, falling asleep while the lights are down and the overhead projectors on, you stand them up 
and you sit them in this immersive environment that they actually want to be in and they investigate the content on their own. So it actually reduces the teaching load a little. You just need very specific um, outcomes that you have at the end of the session because people do get a little bit distracted because of the, the wow factor. Right, right. Um, okay, so what is the, kind of the cost effectiveness of like, um, per, like how many goggles would you need? Like, so let's say you have a, a classroom of 100 students. Um, do you recommend that people buy like, 10 goggles or, you know, you're not going to do a hundred, have a hundred people walking around in a scenario. Yeah. So Hong, Hong Kong um, nursing uh, university, Hong Kong university, the nursing faculty just bought a hundred headsets. Oh, they did. Okay. So, yeah. So believe it or not. So um, I, don't, I don't know what they're doing with them, but um, I am going to find out. So um, uh, we can talk about that later, but I have a new venture that's going to happen next year and it, it, it includes site visits. So I'm going to try and fly to different um, world leading centers who are using VR and just simply ask them why, you know, why did you do this? You know, how is it going? Has it been expensive? Have you saved money? Just ask the questions that everybody asks me and then just sort of create this um, platform for discussion for people because there's a, it's, it's a confusing industry. You know, there's a lot of headsets, there's a lot of software. What does it do? How does it work? Those questions are daily. So my job is to try and break that down. But essentially, you know, if you had 100 people in a class, it, you know, workshops are probably easier. If you had sort of maybe 40 or 50, you could have um, skill stations where people rotate around. So we'll just use anatomy as an example. You could have just textbooks. So students, are, you know, there's 20 students, they're, they're at the textbook station. Then you could have imaging, so you could have some x-rays, maybe some 3D models and maybe a CT or two and they could go there and then they could go to the VR station. So you could have maybe 15 or 20 headsets in that session and then the students all rotate. Because essentially, you know, VR isn't a magic bullet. It doesn't do everything. It's just a teaching tool, just like a textbook or a 3D model. But the VR brings the engagement and a lot of the research at the moment is showing that people learn faster because they're interested, they're drawn towards it, and they have a higher level of knowledge retention. So it does create quite a memorable moment. So while they're in the headset, some of the research is saying that that knowledge does get retained better than if they were just sitting there looking at a textbook. Okay, and so, yeah, yeah it's, you know, I definitely want to send people, do, oh, on your website, do you have like videos of what this would look like or? Uh, I probably don't so much. Uh, Facebook and my LinkedIn definitely does. Yeah. Yeah. So as I've traveled around the world this year, because, you know, I've delivered courses in London, all over Australia, etc. So we've taken sort of video and photos in class. So, um, but essentially, uh, so I've been talking about use cases. So a use case is anatomy or simulation uh, or therapy. Um, but the other thing is floor plans, which is what you're talking about now. So I know in Taipei, they have booths. So you might have different um, uh, sort of areas that are broken up into, into a different booth. So you might have two or three users with a headset per booth. And then that area becomes like a VR kiosk. So after class, the students can come and have self-learning, which I think is a really valuable idea because you can buy an asset and VR, all you have to do is hit a button and it's on. And then the students, you know, particularly something like anatomy, the students can, you know, spend an hour in the headset and learn so much from some, some of the programs that are available. 
And is this something that we you'd have to kind of build from scratch? So if I was doing like a, a neurosurgery lecture or something and I need to get like CTs and all that kind of stuff. So I have to, I would need to accumulate all of those films, right? And then build a program of some sort. Is that how it works? Yeah, look, it would do, yeah. So the, the well, definitely the program, there's an imaging program there already. So you load any DICOM image. So um, CT, MRI, you can put a case into the VR and then it 3D renders it for you. Oh, wow. so it, yeah, it's nuts. So, so that, that, that already exists. And there's actually a lot of those type of programs, even with CT. So you put the CT into the program and you know, you normally see the black and white slices, right? But this makes it like a three, like it looks like the person is standing there and you have like a, a tool that you can look at that 3d rendered image in any angle, but then you say, Oh, where's the kidneys? And it'll highlight the kidneys within the 3d render for you. Or if you want one particular vessel, you can see the vessel. So if you're looking for blood clots or, you know, it's, it's pretty great. So the software, the capability is there. You would just need like the image, you okay. know, you need, you know, whatever. Yeah. So some sort of uh, educational supportive stuff, but you know, it's as simple as just turning the VR on and, 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 you know, 15 minutes preparation, but like any teaching, you have to have a learning, uh, learning plan. Yes. Well, this yeah. one sounds like it's worth learning. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that is amazing. Um, all right. Well, why don't you tell us like where we can find out more? I'm sure that this is going to really pique the interest of academics. I know I want to go talk to my dean too <laughs> about this. this <laughs> yeah. Um, um, so you can contact me through my website. We, it's uh, it's hard. It's it's not a shame. But the last four months, I really I, I, I've I've done I've continued doing teaching, but I haven't invested a lot of time into the business because I've been talking to investors. So uh, in 2020, I'm about to fingers crossed if the stars align, um, uh, launch something that um, hopefully will disrupt nursing education globally. So you know, e-learning. You know, it's so boring. You know, it you is. just get on there, you click. So you know, the concept of cloud delivery these days is so exciting. So, you know, we're looking at sort of delivering uh, VR education online. So, you know, things like breath sounds or heart sounds, you know, if I could provide a 10 minute video that's in VR and send it to you, if you have a headset, you can just pop it on and, and watch, you know, effectively it's e-learning, right? But it's, it's in VR. So the user can walk around the content, they can engage with it. Um, also, we're going to do podcasting. So next year, I'm going to do a reverse podcast of you, <laughs> if you have the time. So we're going to create a platform that generally just talks about innovation. And there'll be a heavy bias to virtual reality. And we'll have clinical education. So we'll do, you know, topics like ECG, stroke, um, cranial nerves, the thyroid. So we'll be delivering education, but we'll also be talking about innovation. So already I've got the Dean of Mosul University in Iraq. Um, who has just started the university again with students after the uh, removal of ISIS out of Mosul. I've got a doctor who works six months of the year in Antarctica. Um, so essentially we're, we're getting together a crew of people on the podcasting channel that will talk about delivering change essentially. So innovation really is just a change that provides a benefit. Um, so that's, that's really exciting. Then we'll do site visits. So hopefully get to Hong Kong. We're going to be going to Taipei, a couple of places here in Australia and a couple of places in the US. And then the real kicker is live streaming in VR. So if you have a headset, I have a headset. We stand next to each other and either me or another expert 
delivers a training session over 30 minutes to an hour, but we're all in a virtual environment together learning in VR, despite the geography. That's amazing. Yeah. So, and hopefully it'll be for about $5 a week. So you just subscribe as a subscription model and then each week you'll get a different piece of content. And then, you know, initially it'll be a little tough because we'll have to build the library, but after six to 12 months, we'll have a whole library of content, but we'll also have a platform that allows peer review and peer discussion about innovation. So, you know, if you want to know what's happening, you know, in the world of nursing education in Australia, you'll just be able to go onto our platform and say, you know, we're teaching our MPs. This is what we do for the heart failure MPs. What do you guys do? You know, and then increase the transparency across sort of innovation. So keeping the innovation as the interwoven theme, but allowing a bit more of an open global discussion about how that happens. Wow. That's, <laughs> that's you have quite a couple of years coming up for you. <laughs> yeah. And my wife's pregnant. So she's due on June 9 and we already have an 11 month old baby. So, um, yeah. You don't like to do things like the easy In way. Halves. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, I just um, multitask. <laughs> yeah, this uh, the investment should you know whether um, the investor they've had the package for you know it's really positive. I should find out literally any day now. So I'm kind of hoping it'll come before Christmas and be positive news. But um, I want to make sure it's right. So um, you know, I, I don't want to rush anything, and I, I, I think it's a good concept, and there's nothing like it in the world at the moment. So, you know, for me, you know, the ability to be, have someone like in Ghana, in Africa, you know, if they had one headset, they'd be able to log in and, and provide training. You know, from Johns Hopkins, if they had a headset, or you know, from me, I could give them some, you know, consultancy. Just the ability to then have that increased access to quality education is so exciting. It changes everything. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. All right. Well, tell us your website and how we get in touch with you because I know a lot of people are ready to write this down. <laughs> yeah, no worries. Well, you know, it's bundleofrays.com. Um, you go, go onto Facebook. We have Bundle of Rays Facebook page. Um, and then my name, so Brad Chesham on LinkedIn. Um, and, you know, there's a, there's a lot to do for the platform for next year, but we're talking about an integration and access matrix. So at the moment, we're calling it IMVR, I-A-M-V-R. Um, but that, that, that'll be uh, sort of fresh, you know, January, February. But bundle of rays. Um, and, you know, I'm really amenable to having discussions, even just people who've got questions. Um, but I know some of my software providers uh, are based in the U.S., uh, and one here in Australia is about to open an office in the US. So they do do business over there. So, you know, if you, you spoke to your dean and you wanted to talk about, you know, I can help facilitate that as well. So, um, yeah, no, no troubles. But it is funny because I won that Hayden Vanguard Lectorship Award this year uh, through Anaxel. And, you know, for me, that's just amazing that I've got this little business. I think I was operating for six months and I won this international award for innovation and excellence from, from a professional body like an Axel just blew me away. And I, here I am, I'm off to the airport, ready to fly because the conference was in uh, Phoenix, I think it was. And I was just like, this is the best thing in my career ever. And I wasn't allowed to fly to America. I, I wasn't allowed to board the plane. Because I had worked in Mosul 18 months prior, I'd been in a high risk area. So the immigration laws in the US determined that I don't, I needed a different visa, which nobody told me at booking time. So I wasn't able to go to the conference. And to this day, I still haven't had my visa approved. Um, 
So that's, I've got a face-to-face -face meeting in Sydney. So I've got to fly down to Sydney to, to go to the US embassy to get my US visa. So I will be able to fly. I'm going to make sure that's going to happen. But um, it's been a little bit of a political banter this year in relation to that. Yeah, well, we look at, we're excited to have you uh, in the U.S. whenever you get here, as soon as you get that visa, so. Yeah, well, and, and again, you know, depending, I think Johns Hopkins, they decide on their PhD applications mid-February. So, you know, if I do a little bit of business there, I'm studying there, the, you know, the likelihood is I'll probably have to spend uh, two or three months a year over there. So um, me and my wife have already talked about that and we're quite excited about it. So, um, yeah, you know, I, I, I just need a few <laughs> things to, to, to align. So um, you never know unless you try. I think that's the biggest thing about being an entrepreneur. You know, I don't know who your major audience is across nursepreneurs, but in Australia, entrepreneurship, you know, being in a startup really isn't promoted um, as much as, you know, nurses are such smart people. They, they, they graft, you know, they work so hard. They, you know, you've got these consultant doctors have been studying for 15, 16 years, but they couldn't operate if they didn't rely on the nurses that worked underneath them to, to innovate, to get jobs done with the things that they have. And nurses see all of the gaps in healthcare because they, they are healthcare. You know, yeah. you take us off the coal front and it falls over. So I, in Australia, part of my platform next year will be to absolutely promote innovation as a platform and a discussion point because um, I, I can see just from LinkedIn and different things on the internet that in the US there is a there is a bit of a wave of that happening at the moment. I've got Bonnie Clipper who's going to be on my podcast. She's just um, published a book and they work with another uh, a group, um, Sonicil, and even though you've got yourself and there's all these other the groups that are sort of promoting and, and providing a platform for people to show the excellent work that's getting done. And that'll be something that I, you know, definitely want to be involved in next year, which is, which is awesome. Awesome. All right, Brad. Well, thank you so much for this. Yeah, no worries. Thank you. Yeah. It's kind of um, just popped up on my schedule. And I thought, you know what, this would be good. So uh, as I said, we're going to have our own radio show podcast next year. So um, I'll, I'll be contacting you to, to fill a slot on there if, if you don't mind. So I'd love um, to. Yeah, that'd be awesome. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Yeah, no worries. Take care.